that made me change my mind, uh, repent of any certain thing about it. But um, what it was is our, our mentor, Lynn Howes, who's going to be here, and I encourage you all to come. And we did go see him. He was breaking down some words. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a studier and all of that. And, you know, we read our Bible. The Bible is not written to us, but it was for us. And that was a thing I had to understand, too, because, you know, I was taught, that, oh, anytime you see something, put your name in there. And there's certain places you can do that. I'm not saying you can't do that. But it's context, history, and audience, okay? And when you learn that, and there's certain things that the people are talking about, it's like, oh, well, that's not talking to me right now. In 2022, it was for them. So that was the first step that got my, oh, okay, all right. And so some a little bit more grave clothes of, of fear falling off. And then another thing was, you know, and I always, as a little girl, I never understood, just was in me, that when I would hear messages about the end of the world, <laughs> and, you know, the heavens will burn with a fur, you know, in the, in the earth, you know, and it scares you, and I'm thinking, well, why does heaven have to burn, and what about the people there? You know, what's wrong with it? I never got it, and no one could ever explain that to me. And the reason they couldn't is because maybe they didn't realize they didn't have the education or the history or a background or whatever. And so sometimes when we read things, we read it at face value, and it can have a surface truth. But when you really get into it, and that's what hit me. That always stuck with me. And then when I finally heard, you know, Dr. Howes was talking about, you know, world in the Greek, you know, we reread this in English, but it was translated, and you can explain it way better many times, you know, Septuagint and Hebrew and Greek and all these things. And so when we have this word world in there and we read it, even in the New Testament, the New Covenant, you know, the New Testament, and you think, oh, my gosh, it's the, it's the end. And, you know, in the hair salon the other day, I mean, if you're my client, I'm just going to tell you, but she wasn't my client, so I didn't want to go over there and tell her. <laughs> So, <laughs> anyway, and she was like, well, you know, um, this, this world is awful, and they're getting married, and I just, they're not, not going to have, and I heard him say this, too, but it's, and I thought, ah, they're not saying that now, but people are still saying that, oh, I'm not going to have any more kids, or, or she's like, well, they don't want to bring any more kids in because it's just so awful, and I'm like, that is just so sad to not think that you can't have any kids because you're so afraid. Now, now I'm not saying there's not anything going on in the world because there is, but you cannot live in fear of that. And if you, and then they just have their mind was just not, and so I didn't have time to go into that. But anyway, so with world, when you read that, and in Second Peter, it's where the elements were. It's like the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. And so that does, you know, you think it's the end of the world coming and what that really means. And then we went to Israel and we saw, and then we learned, I learned about history and about AD 70 and how all these things make sense. I mean, I'm giving you the history of what changed me to get on this trail to what leads to grace life, to what you hear that you might not have heard before. And so in say AD 70, you know, the Romans came and they destroyed the temple and everything burned and they literally have a picture of it. I took a picture. I was just like, oh my gosh, here it is. How can they not see this? And, but they see it, we just don't over here. And, and so what that meant, and it was in Second Peter was, and Peter was written before AD 70. And I'm not saying that, you know, everything has been fulfilled. There's some things that still, but that part portion was because element is the word stoikion in Greek, okay? And so this is what I'm saying. When you read things, you can't think, okay, the elements, you're thinking trees, cars, houses, buildings, it's the elements, you know, that's just an elementary thing of thinking, and a lot of people think that. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the elements that will burn and melt are the elements in the, in the temple. 
and you know, and that was what was being burned, those elements. And the only other two, there's two other places. And when you look, interlinear Greek lexicon, that's your friend. There's no sense in being, we can bring our brains to church, you can look it up. So when you're reading, you, we, yeah, you can, and you hear, and, and you can, and it's just a basic thing. Now, I'm not a scholar, I'm not proclaiming to be one, but Holy Spirit knows where you are, and He will help you understand. And if you don't, it's like, oh, well, don't get that, I'll come back to that. Or you can ask someone. But when you look up that in Second Peter, um, the elements burning with fervent heat, and you look at elements, in the interlinear Greek, it will tell you um, that there's two other places. And what that means is it's in Galatians and in Hebrews. And they were talking about, uh, you know, Paul, in Gal- I'm fearful you're going to go back under the elements of the law, blah, 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 blah. And Hebrews, don't go back to the elements, the basic things of, of, of that. Well, it's back to the temple, back to the basic elements, the rudiment, rudiments is what it is. It's rudiments. And don't go back to that. So the elements in Peter that was melting was the temple that's talking about. So I can't take, and then once at the end of the world, which is also in Hebrews, he came once at the end of the world to finally put away sin. So we think, okay, the end of the world is coming. Well, when you read world, that is another word that does not mean world as we know it. But, you know, if you don't really know a lot and you're just going and you're hearing people preach because, you know, they're pastors or they're teachers and you think, well, they must know more than me, so I'm just going to believe it because that's how I kind of was. And then I thought, no, I'm not. There's something that doesn't set right. Just like when I was little, I was like, oh, my gosh, why does heaven have to burn? Never set right with me, and, and now it makes sense. And so you look up world, and world there does not mean cosmos. It means the global system. Not at the end of the world did he come to put it, but it was at the end, but it means age. And it's not unorthodox to use the right word that the, they meant in that, past, in that portion. It's, it's not. And now you have translations who, who are getting the right words in there. So it does have age at the end of an age. It's a time. It's a space of time. It's a time period. So once at the end of their age, he came and he did come to them in their age. And he did put away sin once and for all time at that time. So there's no other one coming. And so when you read Hebrews and you read, oh my gosh, we can't sin willfully. There's no more sacrifice for sin. Well, no, there's not because Jesus was it. So you can't get a lamb and go to the temple and sacrifice it for the sin you just did. So that's what that means. And so this is my journey. This is the journey that led us to like, oh my gosh, we have to get this out because so much, I, I see things so differently, a different perspective, and grace, and, and, and the word eternal, and, you know, th- there, there is places where he uses world as cosmos, for God loved the whole world, the whole cosmos, that he gave his only son, okay, that we believe in him, right, and so that, I just wanted to, that, that, that's my journey of how when you hear things, and we're putting things in proper context, and you'll hear that, and it's context, history, and audience, and th- some things were like the book of Hebrews was written to the book of Hebrews. It wasn't written to us, but it's for us, and we can get principles out of that. But we don't have to be afraid when we read certain scriptures anymore. And that will hopefully, you know, that's, that's why end time views for me has changed. And we felt pretty confident because we thought, oh, we don't want to lose everybody because they're going to think, oh, my gosh. But we wanted to take you all on this journey and people watching on this journey with us how you can rightly divide the word of truth and know where to put it in its proper place 
everyone has their timeline or their end time is correct usually but it's in the wrong spots like a puzzle so let's put it in the right spot and then everything makes sense I mean I can read the Old Testament now and it makes sense before I'm like hmm you know and all that and now you kind of know it's like okay and you're finding Jesus I mean it's all good and that's why we get excited anyway so and moving on to perfection that's another one you know and because in the Greek it, it's a it, Greek has like eight verb tenses and we have action you know now in person place or thing and you know what words mean and you know now let us move on to perfection when he's telling him I'm afraid you're gonna go back to the elements and the rudiments and all that stuff and he's move on to perfection well we think okay we got to be holy we got to do this we gotta, no that perfection is not a verb it's a noun it means Christ let us move on from the law stuff that he came to do, move on and move into Christ. And he's perfect. So then because he's perfect, I'm perfect. Not my behavior making me perfect, but he's making me perfect. And when I know that, that changes my behavior. And so that's how we put the cart in the right order. Anyway, I'll let you talk now. I just wanted to try to help, because there's some new people that might be coming and they might question, might not understand some things that we might have said or are saying and it's hard and if you don't come often enough or or come to talk to us or, or ask or anything like that then you might be confused like, oh I don't know what they're saying they're here they're saying some crazy stuff over there and anyway it's all the <laughs> the right stuff <laughs> I mean not the everything I'm not saying we're perfect in everything we say because we will blunder some things and and we're still on this journey so what we might say today we might have a different view because I am open. I mean, Holy Spirit, that's why I'm so intrigued with the galaxies and the stars and space. And it's like, man, he's so big. How do I think I know it all? I don't. But I'm learning. I mean, he is expanding our hearts and our minds and he's opening up because his glory is here. He wants us to be aware of it. We don't have to wait for it. It's here. And so he and, and his oneness. And that's what you're going to talk about, right? Okay. I told you I couldn't make a long story short, but I can make a short story long. I told you. So that's all. <laughs> so anyway, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, God. We love you. We praise you. Thank you, Lord, that you are revealing to us in this time, in this age, for us to really know who you are and where you live. You live in us. You are with us, and we're thankful, and we love you. We honor you, and we praise you with everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. No, not only beautiful, but smart. Um, no, it's perfect. It's good stuff. Get your smart devices out, your Bibles if you're going to use that. Um, I would like for you to do something, and those watching us online, you go ahead and do it as well. But uh, if you have your smartphones with you and you are um, privy to where our Facebook page is and you're watching us online, even in the building, go ahead and comment. You at home can do that. Tell us where you're watching from. If you want to leave a prayer request or just do one of those hands up things or whatever emojis on there, that helps us because other people in the algorithms will start seeing those and it'll make it uh, more prevalent to other people, your friends and different things. Uh, like the video, share it, and uh, on whatever social media platform you're using, and that way, uh, we, why, turn your notifications on. Why do we ask you to do that? Because that helps in the way those things are set up to get people that may not be aware of Grace Life Church um, to start seeing us. 
and, and hearing the word uh, go out. And Matthew already mentioned the QR code. That's something that's new back there. When you scan that uh, on your camera, um, you can go to the giving page and you can also uh, download the app um, there. Let me say something before I get into the message this morning. I wrote a little note uh, here. Um, the cross of Christ was inclusive. Thank you for that warm response. It left no one out. Man, I just thought it was get some amens and shouts. I'm talking about the cross. Paul said, I glory in nothing save the cross. Hey, I still preach the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, his seated position where I am with him right now. That's the gospel. That's good news. And he didn't leave anybody out. He was inclusive in that. So here's what I want you to start doing. If Grace Life Church is your home church, and when you come on Sundays and Wednesdays, and people start coming into our fellowship that may not look like you, act like you, talk like you, or have the preferences that you have, I want you to start showing them triple A treatment. Okay? I've got the front row with me. What is triple A treatment? Affirmation, acceptance, and affection. Because if people don't feel affirmed, if people don't feel accepted, and they don't feel loved, they won't come back. And Lisa can share the beautiful words that she just shared. We can have wonderful worship, great kids ministries. But if they don't feel accepted, affirmed, and loved, because all we're doing is telling them what Christ has done. He's accepted them. He is affirming them. And he is loving them. He spread his love abroad by the Holy Ghost into our hearts. Uh, then we can really begin to look like the church. Wow. Um, people are going to start coming home. We went and heard Dr. Howe's Friday night in Ravenswood, and prophetic word went forth. It wasn't directed at me, but I believe that when prophecy goes forth, if it, even if it's being directed to Gary, but it applies to me, I'm going to say that's mine too. You can receive it. Yes, that's right. So he began to prophesy that uh, the youth were coming in. He was going to fill up his house with young people. I got. I don't know what that's about. Mm. Yeah. We've got to invest in the next generation. So. We had college kids at our house till midnight last night. Wow. Don't know where that's coming from. But it's the future of the church. And if we have young people showing up and we don't affirm them, accept them, and show them affection, they'll go someplace else to find it. So Lord, help us as they come home. And I believe also that there are folks that... Um, as Easter approaches that haven't been here in a couple of years because of the pandemic, and they're going to start showing up uh, as well. It's just I'm a stirring that I feel, but wow. Okay. <laughs> it's the Holy Ghost. Older kids. Yeah, yeah. Adult kids, college age, 30-sums, whatever your kid is, 40-sums. I mean, if you're 80 and you have a 60-year-old, they're your kids. They're coming home. If that 
If you want that and you believe that, just reach out and claim that and grab that as your own. So now that we have our smart devices out and our Bibles out, turn with me to John the 17th chapter. Uh, John 17. Uh, We are concluding our series on soar, rising above, increasing, ascending, that we can be above. We've talked uh, about like eagles soaring from Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31, uh, the first uh, of the year, or the first of the year, the first of the month. Then uh, we, we talked about the speed of favor and the favor that is, favor is like the wind that is in our sails that propels us, causes us to soar. And you know when you're soaring like an eagle, you're not flapping your wings. You're gliding. It's effortless. We, we are gliding through life. I'm not saying that there won't be battles and trials, but if we can focus on the favor of the Lord, uh, man, uh, what uh, response we had this week reminding people that we need to remain seated at all times. Because we're seated with Christ in Christ, and from that perspective, all things have been placed under our feet. So when we have a view from heaven to earth instead of from earth trying to get to heaven, then our perspective changes. We don't have fear that overwhelms us when things rise up to fight us. We can get through the battles and the struggles of life that come, and they will make us stronger. Amen? Thank you, Justin. You're encouraging me. That's good. But word this morning, this may seem like a deep word, but I'm not trying to make it a deep word because it is very basic. But because it's been misunderstood uh, for a long time, uh, then we tend to step away from the things that we that confuse us or we don't understand instead of trying to dig a little deeper to find out what it really means. And so in John, the 17th chapter, Lisa has put it on the screen back there in the back for um, us to review for the next few weeks. But the Passion Translation reads like this in John 17, 23. You live fully, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, you live fully in me. And now I live fully in them. He's talking, he's, this is a prayer, and he's praying to the Father, and he speaks to the Father, and he says, You are fully in me. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. In other words, when Jesus was flesh and blood, if you cut him, he would bleed. We saw that through his death on the cross. But yet he was fully God, divine. God, he says, Father, you're fully in me, and now I live fully in them so that they will experience, underline this in your Bible, perfect unity. Write that down as a note. I live fully in them so they will experience perfect unity. Then the world will be convicted that you have sent me. In other words, they will believe. That you, yeah, convinced, not convicted, I'm sorry. Bifocals, are they working? The world will be convinced, not convicted. Help me, Holy Ghost. That you have sent me, for they will see that you love each other, each one of them, with the same passionate love that you have for me. If I could give a title to that one specific verse and to the message this morning, It is seamless oneness. Seamless oneness. Now, seamless 
The word seamless means smooth, continuous, with no apparent gaps or spaces between one part and the next. It's been hard for a lot of us to accept that God lives in us. Um, because a lot of teaching has an old covenant mindset that God disappears when you sin. And you are separate. Seamless oneness. That there becomes a separation. I see people shaking their heads. You've heard that you said something, did something, looked at something, and because of that, now you've separated yourself from God. He leaves then you have to begin to repent and do all types of penance. Five Hail Marys, three Our Fathers, read more, pray more, give more. Then he will reconnect with you. But Jesus is saying in John 17 that there is perfect unity, that the same unity that he had with the Father while he was here in the flesh, he sent the Holy Spirit, and now we have that same perfect unity because he is in us. Um, you do not have to wait to die and go to heaven to have this perfect unity, this seamless oneness. You experience it right now. Um, we talk about going to a meeting place on Sunday morning or we're going to go and hope that the Spirit shows up. Can I tell you that that's old covenant mentality? And the reason that that is old covenant mentality is because the Spirit of God for the Jews in the old covenant dwelt behind the veil in the temple. You know, the temple is representative of the triunity of God, the Trinity. The holy place, the outer courts, the inner courts and the outer courts. It's triune. Uh, God is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are triune. Because Genesis tells us that we have been created in the likeness and the image. It said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. As a human, you are triune. You are a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. Um, we are created in the likeness. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is a, a foundational principle. Because if we don't believe that the Godhead was in perfect unity, we can never see that we are in perfect unity with God dwelling within us. And we have to get rid of the incomplete doctrine that God forsook Jesus at the cross. Because if God forsook Jesus at the cross, then the unity was split up and there was not seamless oneness. But they have always been one. And the scripture tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Where did that reconciliation take place? It took place at the cross, and that's going from the top of my head all the way down to the bottom of my feet right now, that God never left Jesus. And if God never forsook Jesus, then he will never forsake you. That's something to be happy about. Wow. 
So then, Pastor, why did he say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he's not saying that God forsook him. He is telling every Jew that's in the presence of him at the cross that he is the Messiah because he is singing a messianic psalm song from Psalm 22. And we hear him cry out, My Father, my Father, why, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But we don't hear him sing the rest of the song. If you want the rest of the song, go to Psalm 22 and read it, and it will point out that everything that was taking place at the cross and what he was saying was, I am the Messiah. God wasn't forsaking him. You, I hope you learned something this morning. It's a foundational truth and doctrine in the Trinity. Three in one. I remember on page three of the red hymn book growing up that we would sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And it was talking about the Trinity. Uh, isn't it amazing? Do you remember it was page three? <laughs> page 511 was when the roll was called up yonder. I'm 52 years old and I can remember what pages the songs were. I'm thankful we sing off the wall now. <laughs> So old covenant teaching, we have, God help us to rightly divide the word of truth. When Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a, a studier of the word, uh, to prove himself, he wasn't proving that he was born again, he was proving that he could tell you what covenant that he was under. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Because the word of truth and the dividing of that, we've got to understand what covenant we're under. The old covenant said what you did either connected you or disconnected you from God's presence, from his blessing, from his hand. Uh, he would even turn his face from you. But the new covenant tells us that he dwells within each of us, and he never leaves us, nor forsakes us. And so even when you may not feel his presence, his presence is there. Now help me, Holy Ghost, and please understand me. We have got to quit doing so much of this and do more of this. Where is he? He's not. Yes, he is there, but he is more. Reality is that he is more here. Don't misunderstand me for speaking new age, but either we stop telling little children in children's church that Jesus comes to live in your heart. If that's where he is, then I can do introspection and begin to pull on the source of life that is within me and realize that he's not disconnecting from me. He is a part of me, seamlessly one. Mm. No separation. Romans, the 8th chapter. Go with me, if you will, to Romans, the 8th chapter. Uh, let's um, glean from Romans 8, 31 through 39 for just a moment. If you're having a difficult time understanding seamless oneness and that there is no separation. Allow me to read these eight verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So Paul is telling the Romans, 
there has been some misunderstanding that your behavior will cause God to leave you. Man, I can't tell you how much sin was preached to me to the point that um, God left every five seconds. And if I came to the altar and got saved and said a bad word before I went out there and then got killed in a car wreck, I was going to hell. That's not God. That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God that I've come to know. Um, What then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he begins to ask some questions. Shall distress or tribulation, persecution, anybody heard any rumors of famine? nakedness, peril, or even the sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all of these things, we are, somebody say it with me, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded. We need to get some persuaded people. In the house of God. We need some persuasion to overtake us and be persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, demons don't have power over you, child of God. He is defeated. They cannot separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Sounds like seamless oneness to me. No separation. Not one part separated from another part. God the Father is the source of this seamless oneness. See, it always flows from the head down. When uh, they anointed David king, when Samuel poured the horn of oil, it started at the head and it ran down through the body. We see the head of the body, Christ, coming on the planet. In Luke 14, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. So the anointing flowed from Christ the head, from the source, the Father. Now, allow me to just present something to you. I just want to submit something to you. If you'll go to John, the 19th chapter, and let's look at something that is seamless. Hope this will maybe bring some understanding. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Now, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes into four shares, one for each of them. So there was four soldiers. They took his outer garment that had been stripped from him, and they began to divide it into four pieces. Uh, legend and tradition says that they then took those pieces of garment that they cut up and they sold them. Because people remember, why, why would it be so valuable? Anybody have an idea? Because one woman touched the hem of his garment and healing flowed out of it. So they thought that it was valuable and they took it and sold it. That's not in the scripture. That's why I said it's legend and tradition that they did that. But... His tunic, now his tunic is an inner garment. It's an undergarment. They took his clothes and divided it. But they took his seam, his tunic, look at that next word, what does it say? It was seamless. Now, it was woven from the top 
to the bottom as a single garment. We can find the same word tunic used in the Old Testament that the high priest would wear the tunic and then the ephod would go over top of it before he went into the Holy of Holies. The source we found from the first scripture was fully in Christ. Seamless from the top to the bottom. A single garment. Now we know that Jesus is our high priest. And he went into the tabernacle, the temple, and the heavenlies once and for all and sprinkled his blood. And then he completely dismantled a physical temple so that we would not get enamored with and be drawn to the tangible and the touchable because now faith is the substance. And we look to him, our high priest, who bore our infirmities, and he healed us, and he took care of all of the sin problem. I didn't, I didn't say that we don't sin, but the effects of sin on your life and my life has been dealt with it through Jesus at the cross. Somebody say, man, I believe that, so be it. <laughs> but I, I got this seamless garment in mind because if we take the word seamless and we gave you the definition, it's not two pieces of garment that have been woven together either at the shoulders or on the seam. It, it's not two pieces of fabric um, uh, Sarah quilts and you take different pieces of fabric and you sew them together, quilt them together. You, this is not one of these types of sewed, sewed garments. It is one piece of material that is completely seamless. And it is a picture of the seamless oneness that we have from the top down, the source down. Now then, the source releases the sun's. Go to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Is it, are you getting this? Am I going too fast? Good. So Galatians 4, let's look at verses 4 through 7 as we understand Paul giving us a description of the source, the Father, releasing the Son and how we as sons are released. Verse 4. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent His Son, born of woman, born under the law. So Jesus was born under the law. When you read the Gospels before the crucifixion of Christ, you are still reading Old Covenant. Because the, the covenant did not change until the blood was shed. So there is Old Covenant language in the Gospels. But there is also New Covenant language in the Old Testament. So Jesus is born under the law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as children. And so that we would know that we are his true children. So that we would know this, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts. So God the Father releases His sons. And it moves us to cry, Abba, Father, my Father, my Father, my true Father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law. Some are. 
they'll sing the song, no longer a slave, but I am a child of God, and go right back to a slave mentality when they leave the building. And they put a lot of that on themselves to perform, to be accepted, to feel affirmed, and feel loved by God. And he says, you don't have to do any of that. Jesus did that for you. I've accepted you. I'm affirming you. I love you. But now out of affection and thankfulness and gratitude, we do things for God. But not to get a wage. We have access now to the Father, for we are heirs because of what God has done. Listen to this next statement. Living out of our inheritance as sons and daughters looks like what Jesus looked like. What did Jesus say? He said, I only say what the Father tells me to say, and I only do what the Father tells me to do. Why? Because we are one. It was seamless. He heard what the Father said, and he spoke it. He heard what the Father told him to do, and he did, that, did it. Our seamless oneness now comes by the indwelling Holy Spirit who bears witness and communicates with His Spirit in heaven, and there's a conduit that flows, and there are no demons in, in the earth that are robbing you and holding up your prayer because it is a kingdom reality that your spirit is one with His Spirit. You're not fighting through, oh, I can't wait till May. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you for four weeks in May, I'm going to share with you the myths of spiritual warfare. And then Justin is going to share with us on May the 15th. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm just excited about what God's given us all the way through from April and May and some of the things I'm looking at for June. Um, but... In this seamless oneness, we don't have an old covenant mindset like Daniel and that his prayers were held up. Our prayers don't get held up. Well, how come I'm not getting my prayers answered? We'll talk about that later, but you have to begin to realize this seamless oneness. If you don't believe you're one with the Father, then you will have a mindset that your prayers are getting held up. There's a clog there. Need to get some Drano. <laughs> In this seamless unity living, we only do what the Father tells us to do. How do we do that? By the indwelling Spirit. He said He would give us a helper that would tell us what the Father said about Jesus, and He would tell us what to do, how to act, where to go, where not to go. And we submit to that. Our union with Christ is profoundly real. And intensely intimate. The Bible contains all kinds of astonishing terms, um, images, pictures of this oneness. Things like created in Him, crucified with Him, risen with Him, buried with Him, seated with Him, united with Him in His resurrection. He dwells in our hearts. It says that in Christ, this, this is our oneness, in Christ, seamlessly we are justified. Get a hold of that word justified. The word justified means just as though you never sinned. In other words, you are just like Jesus because He never sinned. 
And when the Father looks at you in your oneness with Christ, He sees you as if you've never sinned. That is so good. In Christ we are glorified, sanctified, called, quickened, made alive, and adopted. Here's one that we need to get a hold of. And in Him we are secure. Yes, I believe in eternal security. I believe more that He's got a better grip on me than I could have on Him. That He has keeping power. And He is able to keep that which I've committed unto that day. Hmm. One body, one baptism, one faith, one Lord. What's happened is social divisions, political agendas, educational ideologies, incomplete doctrine have affected the mindset of unity in the body. But Jesus came to bring us His divine life. I want you to look at the screen and meditate on it for a second. Our identity is divinity. I'm not saying that you are equal to God, but ye are little gods, Psalms tells us. Created in the likeness and the image. And if we are partakers of the divine nature of Christ, our identity is divinity. We are one with Christ. Now, Jesus said that I do nothing without the Father. I'm not saying that you heal people, that you deliver people, or that you save people. But the Father whom you are one with operates and works through you by the power of the Spirit. And you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The Scripture even implicates that we can forgive people's sins. That's what it says. What sins? The sins that they've committed against you. You can forgive those. You have the power to release people from the sin that they've committed against you. Our identity is divinity. I know that's deep and it might take a little bit of time to, to sink in. Um, you are not God. But without Him you can do nothing. And you are one with Him, so He seamlessly flows through your life. Second Peter 1.4 says we are partakers of His divine nature. This union, unity, seamless oneness, is a few things, and I'll close with these. Number one, it's spiritual. Cannot be understood or comprehended on a natural level. It was never meant to be understood with the carnal mind. It is real. It's not an illusion or a delusion. It is real. The spirit realm is real, folks. The kingdom of God is that invisible realm. If God would open our eyes, we would see into that invisible realm. and We would know that the spiritual realm is real. It is indissoluble. Once in Christ, ever in Him having taken up his habitation in your heart, he will never leave. He moved in and you can't evict him. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Did I misspell something? Okay. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God dwelled in the tabernacle, the temple behind the veil. We talked about that over the mercy seat. The common person, the common Jew, had no access to the presence of God. But in the new covenant, 
we have access to the very throne of God, if you will, the Holy of Holies, by virtue of new birth, and Jesus and His blood has given us access to the Father where we can boldly go in and make our petitions known. Why? Because we are seamlessly one with Him. When you step up to the throne room, Jesus says, Papa, and God says, Come on in, son. And we walk on in. Hebrews 10, 21 through 22. And since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach Him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at distance from the Father. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Nothing will keep us at distance from Him. I hope you are seeing this seamless oneness that you have. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Frank, if you'll come. Lastly, it is, it is a mysterious union that exists between Christ and His church. Um, people get freaked out when you say it's mystical or mystery. It's, it's a mystery. But yet they'll go to a wedding and they'll hear the preacher get up and say words like, Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God, this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate, Instituted by God, signified by the mystical union that exists between Christ and His church. And nobody bats an eye. But I get up this morning and I'm going to tell you it's a mystical union that exists between Christ and the church. And probably somebody will send me a message and say, well, that's new age. I am in a new covenant and it is a new age. It's a new day. Now, when you relate this word mystical to Christianity, some people would probably say, well, that's witches and wizards and all that type of stuff. No. It, it's a word that has been used. It's orthodox. It's been used for over 2,000 years. The word mysticism essentially means to experience God and the spiritual reality in a way that transcends the understanding of the natural mind. When we begin to experience an encounter, and we, the approach to our union with God emphasizes experiencing His presence. Hmm. The head of the body... In heaven, the members of the body here on earth, the Spirit of God living in us are one. John 14, 20 says, In that day you will know. That word know is to experience. That I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. A lot of people will understand that Christ is in us but can't get the grasp that we are in Christ. 
Natural reasons will never explain the union that you have with Christ. It's beyond human logic and language and words. It can never be fully figured out and explained. And any of our attempts and our definitions and our descriptions will be inadequate. But this is the point that I wanted to get to as you stand to your feet and you look at the screen this morning for our last scripture. This is a kingdom principle that through our seamless oneness that we have the benefit of right now. And it says that in that day, no, Romans, I'm sorry, the fifth chapter, verse 17. There we go. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. In other words, because of what Adam did and his disobedience, the scripture says all were made sinners. And death reigned. How much more, somebody say how much more, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? If what Adam did was so powerful to make all sinners, how much more did what Jesus do I mean, guys, you either believe that Adam had more power than Jesus or you believe how much more through the man Jesus Christ, the abundance of grace that he has given us and the gift of righteousness that we reign. Where does it say that we reign? In life. That's here right now. You don't have to wait to die and go to heaven to enjoy reigning and ruling with Christ. You reign and rule in this life through the provision of His abundant grace and the gift of righteousness through the seamless oneness that Jesus Christ has provided for us with the Father. Through our union with God and Christ, you're reigning right now. And when we get a hold of that, and we have that understanding, and we believe that about ourselves, no devil, no demon, no principality, no angel, not height, nor depth, not the sword, not pestilence, not COVID-19, not wars in Ukraine, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, because you're one with Him. I hope that wasn't too deep. I hope that you will chew on that. Let it marinate over the week. Meditate on it. Let it sink into your spirit. And begin to believe it about yourself. I'm just learning a lot of it myself. And because of it, it's shifting my mind into really believing, wow. You did that. You, you went through that and did that for me so that I could be one with the Father. Incredible. So good. He's so good. Um, Father, I thank you for releasing Jesus 
into this world and as an heir, him being a perfect example to us so that when he came to sit at the right hand of the Father in his finished work, he placed us in Christ and we are now seated with him in heaven. In the heavenly realms, we are in Christ. What a powerful thought to have. Now you're releasing us as sons and daughters into this world to rule and reign in this life. So we declare and decree that as your sons and daughters, that our businesses are successful. Come on, somebody help me. We declare and decree that our finances are in line. May not look like it, but as we surrender to Holy Spirit's guidance and He gives us creative and entrepreneurial ideas that we can have financial prosperity and blessing to be a blessing to others. I declare and decree that as sons and daughters released into the earth that we are speaking healing and restoration deliverance. The residue of the kingdom is left behind everywhere that we go and the effects of our oneness with you are left behind to affect others in the world for every person battling addiction may they be set free today and may we be a vehicle by which deliverance is manifested in their lives right now anyone in this building or under the sound of my voice if you have a loved one a friend you're connected to anyone that's battling addiction would you just lift your hand and may we all agree together right now as sons and daughters that he is releasing us to bring deliverance father you see these hands we see these hands and we come into agreement as sons and daughters, that you are using us to affect those with addiction. They have a responsibility, but you're going to help us bring healing. See, I believe that everyone that's addicted is really just crying out for help because of a hurt that they have. It's a deep inner hurt, and we can minister to that hurt through the oneness that we have with the Father. Hey, I, I see it. I believe it. I declare that there's going to be deliverances taking place. People are going to be healed from hurts. And these wounds that are deep that they've not released, God's going to go deep and He's going to begin to heal them and addictions are going to break off of their life in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's suffering in their body physically today? Who needs a physical touch?